we've got Adam Chapman from uh, Westermeyer Industries with us. How you doing, Adam? Good. How are you guys doing? We're doing really well. Uh, can you, uh, Adam, can you give us a quick rundown of how you got in the industry and your career and then a little bit about Westermeyer Industries? Sure. Yeah, I uh, um, kind of a, a neat story. So I uh, started working out there. I just I was in college and I needed a job like every college student um, at least should. And uh, so I just go uh, around and put in applications and I, um, you know, I was just like, listen, I'll do whatever. So the, my first job there was in 2008 and they, uh, Gary Westmeyer started the business. Um, he hired me and I did landscaping and that was the first thing I did. Um, and, uh, um, you know, slowly worked into a lot of different areas and quality and, um, you know, maintenance and different, uh, aspects. And then one day he asked me if I was interested in sales, uh, shortly thereafter I graduated. So, um, so I, I accepted and that was in 2011. And so I've been, uh, with the company, uh, you know, since 2008, but then sales, um, and since 2011 and, uh, you know, today I'm, uh, the sales manager there, uh, covering all of the managing all the sales groups. Uh, whether it's aftermarket or OEM. So you were out there cutting, cutting grass and they're like, you know what, you can really handle a, a weed eater and a lawnmower man. And so let's see what you can do with selling uh, vessels. <laughs> yeah, it was probably more along the lines of, uh, man, this guy can really spew some BS. So I think we probably need to. <laughs> he keeps telling us why we need to keep doing more stuff with our landscaping. Yeah. yeah. Our landscaping costs are out, the, out through the roof this year. I think we got something. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, can you hit on a little bit about uh, what uh, actual products that Westermeyer Industries deals with? Sure. So, uh, you know, I, I guess touching on, you know, the company, you know, we've been in business um, since uh, 2001. Um, and here coming up uh, next year will be 20 years. Um, we've got, you know, 100,000 square foot uh, facility. And, um, you know, we're, if you look at where Bluffs, Illinois is, you know, it's in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of some cornfields. So we're a bunch of hillbillies out there making tanks. So, um, and, uh, but we, we employ, you know, a little over 120 people and, um, and build a pretty wide range of products. Um, you know, the categories include, you know, oil separators, accumulators, receivers, um, you know, all the way through, we've migrated to a lot of, uh, uh, shell and tube, uh, heat exchangers, whether it's, uh, condensers or evaporators. And then, you know, we get into a lot of other industries that aren't heavily, you know, all refrigeration and air conditioning. It gets into, you know, oil and gas and some other, um, highly technical things, um, you know, we make anything from small little three-inch diameter stuff um, all the way up to uh, eight-foot in diameter. So we have a pretty pretty wide range of capabilities um, at our place. What what would be your guess as far as, or maybe you just know exactly, how, how big of the market for you guys is refrigeration or how big of a business segment for you is refrigeration? Uh, uh, well, um, refrigeration, I would say probably, um, you know, it might be, 30%, 30-40% is probably refrigeration. Um the other probably uh 30-40% is um air conditioning, you know, uh you know the commercial air conditioning type applications and then the remaining is probably uh, you know heating uh and oil and gas type stuff. Okay, cool. Um I think we had some questions about the products you'd actually can you just give us a quick rundown about I think is the oil separator business your major part of the refrigeration side? 
Yeah, that's probably what we're most known for. And, and, you know, Gary, uh, Gary's history, you know, he's been in the industry for you know, over 30 years. And so, um, you know, his, he, uh, he actually, um, carried a lot of patents, um, years ago. Um, and, uh, so that, that is what we're, we're very known for. And I think that probably a good step, um, in this is just to kind of go over the different types of oil separators, um, and kind of the, the ins and outs of them. So, um, we, uh, really the first one is the impingement and that's kind of a, a, a legacy model. Uh, the impingement really is, you know, your, your wire sock, um, your real low cost, um, oil separator. They've been around a long time, so they're very reliable. Um, you know, and the sizing is not overly critical, uh, when, when you're looking at that, but again, they're not overly, uh, efficient. So uh, we say about 80% effective, um, if they're sized properly, uh, the one thing that people do get in trouble with those is that, you know, they tend to, if they oversize them too much, you actually can get, um, gas to condense on the inside during low ambient conditions. Um, but they do have a bit of a, um, problem with uh, pressure drop if you undersize them as well. Um, then you get into, uh, the centrifugals, um, you know, they're very efficient if sized properly. Ruben, we've, uh, we had a long, long chat with that and long experience with, uh, centrifugals, haven't we? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, but we got a solution for you, didn't we? We got, we got it all worked out. Well, Ruben doesn't remember anything about that conversation actually, <laughs> but he did remember your name and how to get a hold of you. So that was good. <laughs> well, yeah, we can, we can kind of talk about that a little bit, but I mean, the, the big thing with centrifugals is they're very effective. Uh, very reliable because there's not there's not really any moving parts um, inside and there's low pressure drop, but the must in this is that they have to be sized properly because they require velocity to separate the oil. So low low conditions you get um, where the velocity drops out because it creates a cyclone on the inside of that separator to strip the oil and fling it to the outside. Um, and, uh, you know, low low conditions you got multiple compressors and they start shutting off and uh, you know. It's at night. Everybody's asleep. Somebody's on call. They have to get out of bed and go mess with a low-level um, oil alarm. And then you get in a situation where you realize, well, you know, we're we're at low-level conditions here, and uh, we, they just did a retrofit, and there's only about half the load that this case or that this system was originally designed for. Now we've got a problem. Real, real quick, Adam, um, the centrifugal is that this? I've always heard the term helical. Is that the helical. same? Okay, yep. I wanted to make sure yep. that I was thinking the same thing that you were okay cool so so Ruben we kind of got into um, a scenario and again stop me if I'm speaking out of term but you know we had you had a system where you know load was um, different than what the original system was designed for they usually this comes out and um, we got retrofit stuff and people are remo- have removed cases and it's just not like it used to be and then that load drops off. Well, the, really the only scenario that you get into with this is, um, you know, dropping down to a, a smaller oil separator, which, you know, can happen and can resolve the issue at times. But then um, sometimes because of the wide range of conditions that have to be uh, supported for a system, that's when you get into a coalescing. <clears throat> and that's what we got. That's what we got Ruben into to fix his, his issue. So, um, you know, we all kind of know, what, you know, coalescing is highly efficient you know that as long as you size them properly these things are going to be pretty much bulletproof uh in regards to oil separation they remove contaminants out of the system 
Um, some of the disadvantages though, you know, again, you got higher cost in the filter. You got to be changing it out all the time. You can have a little bit of pressure drop, higher pressure drop than the centrifugal or helical style, um, that most people know. And then you got a, you know, a filter that once, um, once it becomes dirty, you know, if it's not maintained properly, you can, uh, rupture that filter and then you cause a whole massive, um, you know, issue when it comes to uh, cleanliness of the system. So that is a, a negative, but I, I kind of look at that actually as a positive. I mean, not the rupturing of the, the filter, but the fact that it is serviceable. I think are the impingement style, I, I don't believe those are serviceable, right? They're just uh, hermetically sealed for the life of them. That That is correct. You can, the servicing of the um, impingement style or the conventional style of um, those is you can't service the float out of them. But yeah, um, th- there were a few models years ago that had a serviceable screen that you could kind of take out, but, um, those really don't exist anymore. Yeah. So I always kind of looked at it like, I, you know, once you have a, a non-serviceable oil separator, it's, you know, that's a bad situation versus having a, a coalescer that can actually be changed out in the field. If you have a problem, change out the filter and get on down the road. Sure. Yeah, no problem. That's, you know, it's exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, you touched on something I think is also, you know, I think a good talking point is, you know, when you got a problem, the big question is like, well, how do I fix it? What is truly my problem with oil management? And, you know, you look at um, some of these issues and these are some of the questions that we ask people, um, you know, they say, you know, I've got this, I'm, I'm tripping on low oil. What's, what's my issue? Well, the first thing we do is verify sizing. And, you know, in our world of oil separation, everything's based on a discharge CFM. And, you know, we get your uh, refrigerant, we get the number of suction groups, uh, we get your evaporating temperature, your condensing temperature, and your BTU loads. So we get that from you, and we go, okay, here's kind of our baseline. And as long as it's sized properly, then we kind of go on. It's like, all right, well, we've checked that box. Let's go on to the next thing. Then we go into... Is it a new problem or reoccurring? And, you know, if it's a new problem, that's a whole different set of questions that we kind of get down. But if it's reoccurring where it's on an old system, then we go, okay, what changed? And like in the conversation I was talking to Ruben with his, with his application, it was always like, okay, what's changed? Well, this is, you know, we don't have, you know, these cases anymore that, you know, the system's, you know, 10 years old and it's not what it used to be. And, um, then that's how we start kind of diagnosing the problem a bit. Um, you know, we get into the questions about, does it happen only in full load conditions or does it only happen when part, you know, it's partially loaded where you got, you know, four compressors and now you're only running on two and that's when you trip on low oil. Again, that's velocity perspective. That's when you start getting into the helical or centrifugal style uh, issues that can take place. Um, then we get into questions about, you know, if the if there's a float on the bottom, a mechanical float on the bottom of these separators, we ask, you know, is the oil return hot, warm, or cold? And the reason why we ask that, if it's hot, you can't even hardly put your hand on it, the likelihood that you've got a piece of debris of some kind that's keeping the float open and allowing discharge gas to pass through that, you know, creating that oil return to be hot. If it's cold and it's not even hardly, you know, it's pretty, uh, you know, pretty noticeably cold. Another thing is you could have debris that's keeping the float from opening or some obstruction inside. Um, and then if it's warm that, you know, that tells us that there's likely a decent flow of oil, uh, cycling through that oil return line. Um, you know, a couple other things that we kind of get into with this is, 
you know, is the oil, you know, if it's got a separate oil reservoir that's that's got a vent line uh, tied to suction, we have you check to make sure that pressure, um, how is that compared to suction to ensure that you don't have a, an issue with the oil vent line because that, that tends to be a problem. You, know, you get where oil res- reservoirs either fill up and it dumps oil into that oil return line because let's face it, when you get into a situation where, um, you know, people are on low oil, it's like, well, I just need to add oil. <laughs> and you get into this situation where then, you know, trips on oil, somebody's like, all right, I fixed it at night. And then the next tech comes in in the morning and goes, oh, that's not my, that's not the fix. So you get into a lot of scenarios here where you start kind of trying to, you know, assess what, uh, what some of the problems are and trying to diagnose some of those things. Yeah. Typically going into that pressure regulator, I, I, I don't know, in slang, we used to call it a check valve for some reason. I, I don't really know why, but, uh, that's typically um, sized at like 20 PSI over your suction, right? That is correct. Yep. And, and this check valve, correct. And the normal, you know, when you call it a check valve, that's basically all it is. It's just a spring with a, um, with a, uh, a pound, you know, 10, 20 or 30 pounds setting. So yeah, it's a, that's valid. And then I, I just want to, before we go uh, too much deeper into the oil separators, I, I think, you know, you mentioned that the coalescers are, I don't know, a higher efficiency than the helical or the impingement, but they're not a magic pill. So, I mean, we had an issue where we had a helical separators and, you know, everybody was like, well, couldn't figure out what was going on. And then the, it was determined that, well, well, we'll just put a coalescer in and that'll fix everything. And that's not the case. I mean, if you have oil return issues or uh, compressors pumping oil or whatever your problem is, just putting in a coalescer separator doesn't fix all your problems. Uh, you, you got, you got to still have a, a properly operating system to get the, the high efficiency out of the coalescer and not still have problems. Yep. You're exactly correct. And, um, again, when people are having system problems, again, like I mentioned, people tend to add oil and then then you're like, all right, let's put a coalescer on here. Well, then if you have too much oil in the system, now you're just logging that filter full of oil. And, um, you know, you get in, we've seen a lot of things. I mean, we've got into where, you know, you get applications where <laughs> there's the wrong oil in the system and, or you got high discharge temperatures and it's, if it's the wrong oil, high discharge temperatures, now the oil is, you know, basically vaporizing. Now it's not even a, a, uh, you know, an aerosol at that point. So yeah, you're right. There's no, there's no magic pill to that. And, uh, you got to make sure your system's operating properly. I think, uh, Ruben had a, do you have an oil separator question, Ruben? Uh, yeah, Adams Ruben here. Um, yeah. And I was, as you were talking, I was uh, trying to remember the, um, details of that call from back in the day. I just remember that, uh, even when that rack was brand new, they didn't put certain circuits that were supposed to be on the rack. Those were set on a, uh, single system. And I guess that wasn't so bad, but it was bad when we did, or when somebody did the retrofit and removed more circuits. So if I remember correctly, I think the rack was running at, um, probably about half, uh, capacity or maybe even less. And that's when we started yep. having all those issues that I had to contact you about the oil separator. Yep. Yep. No, I, again, I, um, I think that's a, that's just kind of that tall tale sign that this, you know, is this a reoccurring issue or always been an issue? And, you know, it's always a hard question because, you know, sometimes the guys that have to deal with those aren't always the people that were there at the beginning. 
So. Yeah, exactly. So on these uh, coalescing separators, um, at what point in pressure differential do you recommend the coalescing filter to be changed out? Um, we always recommend it to be changed out um, at 12 PSI or higher. Honestly, at 12 PSI, it's like you need to change it now. But when you're looking at energy consumption and system operation, that thing really should be changed out at maybe you know anywhere from five to eight um, psi differential. All right. So once you hit that five to eight, it's uh, recommended to just go ahead and get it taken care of. Yep. Okay. And, and what yep. about um, as a uh, uh, it, for example on routine maintenance? Um, you know, as far as time's concerned, uh, if there's no pressure drop across it, you don't uh, recommend just going ahead and changing it every year or two years or whatever. Yeah, that's, um, you know, I think I know that there's a lot of uh, supermarkets that are really, they, you know, have these regular maintenance and they just want things changed. I think that uh, some of the new things that we've got coming out, uh, one of the new products in general, I think it's, it's because of this fear of like, we don't really know what's going on on the inside of the separator. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a good segue into this new, uh, pressure differential monitor. And, um, when you look at what's used today, it's just a single dial and it's basically rides on a, on a spring to measure the differential across the inlet and outlet of the, um, separator to determine when the filter needs to be changed. Well, it's not overly accurate. And I know a lot of contractors, they look at it and say, yeah, this doesn't, we don't, we just don't uh, believe in what that thing tells us. And so I look at, we looked at this product and we looked at like developing a new product around these issues. And uh, we came out with this new one that uh, utilizes pressure transducers. And so highly um, accurate. And those two pressure transducers go into a main board that then translates the, the pressure differential into a single output voltage. And you can tie back to an E2 and actually plot that out and see exactly what's going on in the inside of the separator. And, you know, the big thing is, is people look at it and say, well, I can put two transducers on an inlet and outlet, and I can, I can program all this if I got the time. Well, the, the issue that everybody has to understand is out of the box, you know, because pressure transducers, they have – a tolerance band and out of the box one could be completely on the high side and one could be completely on the low side and we we've done this test where you could take those out of the box and you could be starting out saying that you could have a nine psi pressure differential um and it could read two or the opposite you could have only two and it could read um you know 12 and so um so what we do is we calibrate those transducers to them to each other and they are mating to that um, board, and they're there for life. And um, and then that gives you a nice, accurate reading. Um, and you know those things are going to actually come about uh, in the market first quarter of next year. Uh, we have some uh, prototypes out in the field right now, and so far the the uh, information we've gotten back has been very positive. All right, is that the um, the RDP zero one you're talking about? That is correct. Yep. Okay. All right. So you said that the two transducers are um, calibrated to each other. So if you need to change one out in the field, um, how does that work? Yeah. So you. So right now the plan is that you'd have to do a whole new, um, you know, 
RDP01. You can, we've contemplating allowing a field um, calibration process, but we're fearful that that will create, that will be a little more complicated and cause, you know, more problems than good. Um, and, uh, I guess in, to you guys is, you know, to that point, how often do you see a pressure transducer, you know, need to be changed? Mm, not very often really, but yeah, it's not very often. And I, I would say that the, the differential pressure reading across a filter is not new to other industries. Um, if, you know, particularly you're, you guys are in oil and gas, it's pretty common in oil and gas to have these types of systems on, uh, filters, uh, to measure, you know, pressure drop across filters. So I, I think that it's late coming to the game for refrigeration systems, rack refrigeration systems. It's obviously very much needed, but I don't think that there's nothing that hasn't already been, uh, kind of vetted in other industries that, you know, I'm assuming that you guys are taking these things from other areas and, and uh, applying them to their refrigeration system. So, I mean, transducers, like you said, have a pretty low failure rate. And then the whole system in general is is pretty common in other applications. So I, I don't think that it would be a huge issue and probably a pretty low failure rate over time would be my guess. That is correct. And the, the, the cycles on this would be, you know, those those transducers have been put through, you know, million cycles, if probably not more, um, for their testing process. Um, and the, the good thing about this, um, and the innovative thing about this is that, um, we've, uh, we've got a provisional patent, um, really for the technology of calibrating the two and translating that to a single output voltage. Um, all the while, you know, the other side of this is, is the problem with the existing one is you, have a differential and it's pegged. It's at 12 PSI and it's alarming. Well, the moment that that filter has a failure, it no longer is in alarm mode. That pressure differential drops. And then, you know, you go in there and it's like, well, I'm not reading any, I'm not reading uh, an alarm in my pressure differential. So I, you know, it must have must fixed not be itself. That. Must, <laughs> must <laughs> have fixed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Must, must not be an issue. Whereas this thing, it will show an indication of an overpressure um, alarm that has to be manually reset. So that's another aspect of this, um, the uh, program language that we've built into this box to help support that. When you guys are, uh, when people are installing this RDP one, mm-hmm. uh, do you recommend at that point to change the filter at the point of installation with this unit so that you have some sort of a baseline or do you just, you know, go ahead and install it with the existing filter that you have and, and see what you're reading or how, how does that go? Um, you know, honestly, if, if I was an intuitive <laughs> contractor and I wanted to see it in action, I would put it in um, and see how, what I was reading. And then if I, you know, if I found that the differential was high, then I was like, all right, well, I probably need to change it. Now, if I don't want to spend a bunch of time in a rack room, yeah, I probably would change it. And while I was installing that, and then I kind of wiped my hands of the the system there for a period of time. Gotcha. Hey, Adam, it's Ulysses. I might need to save your number because um, we just took over a rack, and I think we were having um, – it has a helical separator. And yep. when I got the call out there, there's only like two compressors running out of seven, and I think we might be having a – same issue, kind of like Ruben had. I don't know if this rack is ever sized. Like I said, it's a fairly new rack. 
Um, mm -hmm. There's a company not in Texas that installed it. But I was looking at the website and I saw it says IIAR down on the bottom. Do y'all make anything for ammonia or CO2 systems? Uh, yep. Yep. So we have, um, so we have the, like the transcritical, um, CO2 oil separators. So we're selling those to, you know, all those manufacturers, um, today. Uh, and we do a large amount of, uh, horizontal separators for ammonia oh, and okay. really anything you, um, we're actually getting ready to launch a full, um, separate website or not separate website, but separate, uh, new website with a separate tier that will show all of our, um, ammonia and industrial refrigeration application and capabilities. That's good to know. Um, I see the DX chiller on the website. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So, um, so these are, you know, normal anywhere from five ton all the way up to, you know, as far as catalog goes, I think it goes up to 250 ton, um, you know, single or dual circuit, uh, you can, the good news is, is those things come pre-insulated. Uh, we can, we can also offer a, a builder kit that comes with a TXV and some controls and some piping. Um, if you need that, um, the, uh, the other part that's really good about our products in general, and especially for anything on the low side of the system or the suction side of the system, is you know we powder coat them so there's high uh, corrosion protection, you know, against freeze ups and and heavy uh, condensation. Uh, but you know we have very large capabilities. We can do custom models. Let's say they got an existing you know, 120 ton chiller out there on a on a roof and it, it's got a leak. You're like, yeah, but your ports are on the top, and I need. I need the ports on the side, on the right side. We do a lot of custom stuff. I would tell you probably 90% of what we do is custom. And, uh, and let's face it, with the amount of chillers out there in the world and the um, existing infrastructure with old equipment, um, you have to be able to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm also, I was also looking at the level transducer probes. Will you all make that mm -hmm. for ammonia as well? Um, we have a, we have a new, so the existing probe today is not good for ammonia, but we do have a new probe that we will be coming out with, um, probably middle of next year. And, uh, and this is going to be good for whether it's ammonia or even some of these, uh, you know, basic refrigeration applications basic. is it's not going to be, um, refrigerant specific. So, you know, with like a Hanson probe or, you know, whoever's probe today, it's got to be calibrated to a specific refrigerant and you got to tweak it and all this stuff. Whereas this thing's not going to be that way. It's going to be drop it in. It's going to sense where the level is and go. Is that going to still be a, is that going to still be a capacitance type probe or is it going to be a different style altogether? It's not going to be capacitance. It's going to utilize the technology. It's basically kind of like a, uh, um, ultrasonic type technology that uh, detects the fluid inside and then bounces it off of that fluid back up to the probe. Is that, will that be applicable? F I, we've had some issues with uh, propane systems, large propane recirculators that um, with capacitance uh, specifically reading uh, propane because of the, um, I'm going to lose it right now. The, like the density of the propane, like the sure. basically how, dense it is and then getting an accurate reading on that do you know if the ultrasonic one will be able to do propane 
I think it will be because the, the technology is kind of it's been used in fuel systems already today. The concepts that we're using um, and aerospace, so I would imagine that's going to be able to be um, used in that same application. Because again, it doesn't it doesn't care about what fluid it is, whether it's oil, water, refrigerant, you name it. It could it just senses that and then bounces that t- that information off of it back through the probe. Awesome. What else you guys got? On that uh, level probe, I see whenever I replace them, I see some that you can't use Teflon tape on the threads. Is that the same case with the one y'all have right now? Uh, so for an NPT style, um, I, which is I assume you're probably getting at. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, honestly, I would Teflon tape's good. Um, you know, I, as long as people you do, you don't have to wrap it a you know a million times on there. Um, but then probably the majority of the ones that we sell are actually Rotolock versus an NPT style. Okay. Since we're on the level probe, can you talk a little bit about the uh, receiver level uh, indicators that you have available? Sure. So, so this is, um, a semi new product that came out, um, a year or two ago. Uh, we're still trying to get some, uh, awareness about it. Cause let's face it, our industry tends to be a little, uh, a little Stuck slow in their to ways. react. To, yeah, a little <laughs> slow to react to new technology. So, um, so this new level gauge is uh, it's designed to seal on an inch and three quarter rotolock spud versus you know on the side of these receivers on the refrigeration systems. There, uh, it's a four bolt, and you see them. It's a company that uh, typically uses. Here, another little fun fact is if you look underneath all these uh, semi-trucks that's got the reefer units in them, yep. if you look, the tanks underneath those, you'll see that little, there's a little gauge on the side of that. The same company that developed those is the same company that developed them for the refrigeration, the side of the receivers for refrigeration. So um, so this product is an inch and three-quarter rotolock, and it seals on a Teflon seal. The four-bolt today in our market research, and we sell a lot of gas replacement gaskets, that is the the number one leak on a refrigerator rack system. Hmm. It's just it's typically you got you know OEMs that have got either you know typically have two four bolts on the side of them, and one's blanked off, and the other one's got the gauge on it. And the problem is with four bolts is you have to torque them properly and equally, and um, and with all these new refrigerants. And all these retrofits that that gasket that's in there is a neoprene gasket and it tends to to harden and then it leaks over time. Teflon is um, far less susceptible to that. So um, so this gauge it snaps on it screws onto an inch and three quarter rotolock. Um, it is elect- the electronics snap onto a sight glass. It's part of this assembly, so you can get a fifty percent visibility of the uh, level inside the receiver. And if the electronics fail for whatever reason, then you can snap it off electronic or off of the side glass and change it out without having to pump the system down. And it'll auto calibrate to the, um, the magnet that's on the inside of the Hall effect sensor. And, uh, without having to, you know, again, touch, break the system apart. Um, we have both the, the rotolock connection, if an OEM decides to put it on the receiver themselves or, if you have a retrofit need, we have a retrofit kit that goes from four bolt to uh, Rotolock. So is that still susceptible to the same gasket leaking if you're having a retrofit kit on it? 
Well, you would think so, but I, we didn't want to release a product that was just going to replicate the same problem. So what sure. we did was we developed a um, and did testing on a different gasket material, and it's kind of a uh, it's called Gylon, but it's a it's a kind of a material that's equal parts Teflon and some other materials that is far less susceptible to hardening with you know uh, cycling of different oils and different refrigerants. Cool. So the good news about this product is, you know, you get an output voltage. So it provides you um, an output voltage, either zero to five or four to 20, all in the same one, four to 20 milliamps. And uh, it also has a built-in 20% low level relay. So if it's below 20% for over 10 seconds, then it trips that relay and it can activate that um, into an alarm if uh, you decide to do it that way. I, I would like to bypass that. Yeah, me too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so is it only immediately. is it only at twenty percent, or can that be um, adjusted? It, the relay is only at twenty percent, okay. but obviously with the output voltage, you can just program that um, your low level alarm to whatever you want. Yeah. If you need yeah. to. Okay. Yep. Correct. We built. We did the relay built in for somebody that didn't have for any type of application where they didn't have a like a nice robust controller that they still could set up a, a single relay for low level the standalone type yeah, application that's nice correct while while we're on the receiver thing i think that uh talking about receivers anyway i think that there's maybe some confusion in the industry about how receiver capacity is calculated can you kind of hit on that a little bit sure so um so really well and i guess i want to ask the question is how is the question how do i know what's capacity is in this receiver or how do i calculate a capacity of a receiver on a system is that i want to make sure i understand your question yeah i think uh, how do you calculate the capacity of the receiver itself so um really the good rule of thumb is if you want to especially in like a, a supermarket rack the rule of thumb is always we want to be able to pump 100 percent of that um refrigerant into that receiver for any work that has to be done that's not that's not always perfect. And I think we all would agree that getting 100% in that receiver is somewhat challenging. But that's the that's the best way to to ensure that you've got a properly sized receiver is being able to pump full capacity of that. Um, we actually have on our app, um, which I was going to get to in a little bit, but we actually have in our Quick Select um, app. Uh, you can actually go in and put in um, some uh, some criteria as far as the size of the receiver, all this stuff. I knew on another um, episode you guys were talking about, well, how do I know what what kind of capacity this receiver has on here, um, you know, on this system? Well, you can just put some general size uh, of, you know, the receiver that's in front of you and uh, what refrigerant you're running. It, it will give you um, kind of a rough estimate of what, what capacity that receiver would be. Okay, so yeah, you can either go, if you can't, because there's some receivers out there, I mean, you just can't find the manufacturer's information on them uh, regarding right. capacity on, on those receivers. So uh, having the ability to take a couple measurements and uh, input your, your refrigerant that you're using and get a, at least a rough idea of, you know, what your charge is, that's uh, very helpful. So you said that was on the Quick Select app? Yeah, Quick Select app. It's on iOS right now. Um, it's going to be for Android by the end of the year. 
Um, and so for the people that don't like Apple, that's the, <laughs> that's, uh, that's coming. The we, pe- we, su- sorry, Ruben. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> y- you can call them peasants. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what we found is that we were like, boy, all the people in the office that were working on this and developing it, um, including myself, we all had, uh, you know, iOS and, and then we start talking to all these engineers and they're like, well, I don't have Apple. I have Android. It's like, oh, well, I guess I forgot the fact that everybody <laughs> wants to be able to break their phone and tinker with it. And <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we, that'll be that'll be launched by the by the end of the year. What else can What else is on the Quick Select app? So, uh, basically, oil separator sizing, accumulator sizing, uh, receiver sizing, like I mentioned, uh, shell and tube condensers, evaporators. Um, what you can also do CO2 oil separator, um, or accumulator sizing, uh, pressure relief valve sizing. Um, I think that's about, that kind of runs the gamut, I think on most of that stuff on there. So nearly every product that we have that we offer that requires some sort of technical, you know, understanding as far as sizing goes, you can do it on there. Oh, that's, that's cool. Uh, speaking of pressure relief valves, do y'all make any or do y'all plan to make any in the future? Or is that done by Mueller? <laughs> so, yeah, so we're, so we're part of Mueller. Um, and so, you know, they're kind of the kingpin that, that does that. But what um, are you guys looking at? Do you ha- see a demand out there? What, what are you guys, what are you thinking? Well, yeah, in the industrial ammonia field, I mean, we have to change relief valves every five years on another you know, bunch of vessels. So. <laughs> Yep. Well, I can tell you that we are um, finalizing some designs for our ammonia relief valves right now. So part of our R- so our R&D group is based out of the plant in Bluffs, uh, where the Westmire plant is. And they manage all the new products for like us and Mueller Refrigeration that does the, the relief valves. And we finalize a design for both a cartridge style and then just a standalone uh, um, angle uh, relief out for ammonia as well. Cool. That'd be awesome to have another player in the game. What else you got, Ruben? You look like you want to ask a question right now. <laughs> I am going to ask a question. Um, can you send some of those uh, relief valves to these guys so they can <laughs> install them on some <laughs> of their ammonia systems? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, but you joke is, but the the day that those are available, yeah, I'll be. I'll be dishing them out like uh, like cards, so we'll we'll get some in you guys' hands. Is there a liability waiver with that? <laughs> you, you guys assume all liability for uh, any relief? No, 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 no. 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 Those are free. Okay. Those oh. are yeah, swag. I'll, swag I'll, relief valves. <laughs> these, these are uh, paperweights only. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, is there anything else that we didn't cover, Adam, that you wanted to hit on? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, you know we talked about. Um, oil management. And I think that we can kind of come back around on the oil management side and, you know, oil reservoirs, let's face it, it's just a dumb tank when it comes to, you know, uh, on a refrigeration system, there's not a whole lot to be said about it, but the big thing is a good rule of thumb. If you guys are getting into retrofits, you're, you're, you know, everybody's trying to figure out, okay, where, what size of oil reservoir do I need now? Um, you know, a good rule of thumb that I wanted to mention to everybody is, you know, we always say up to four compressors, two gallon, four to six is a three gallon and six or more is a four gallon. So I think that that's, you know, that's applicable to what we're, especially with all the retrofits and all the stuff that's going on. Um, you know, I think that that's something that everybody should try to keep in mind. 
Do you guys advocate for the, like a low pressure oil reservoir or high pressure oil re- reservoir system, or do you care? We would. Add, I can tell you that less problems come with a reservoir, a separator reservoir combo, or like a high pressure oil system. Okay. Uh, less problems are surrounded by those compared to you know when you start, pe- people start floating head and uh, all this stuff, and it, you start getting into less problems when you have a reservoir separator built on them. Yeah, I I would, would agree. Oh, the few systems I've seen, that's uh, I fixed well one problem with just swapping it from the low pressure to a high pressure system and being done with it after that. But um, sure. but yeah, I agree. You've seen a lot more of it than I have, so I'm gonna agree with you on that one. <laughs> well, again, it's you just take a lot of calls when people are like, ah, I'm having oil management issues. I can't get this. You know, I'm tripping on the oil. This the separator's not working, and you have to kind of talk everybody off the edge and say okay let's start dialing this back and you end up with uh, you know fewer problems if you got less components um in the system and downstream from the oil reservoir you guys are you have uh, oil filters i believe right that you, you were mentioning yeah so um so what we've done is we have seal oil, oil filters but a new product that we're trying to get out and create some awareness is the uh, uh serviceable oil filters and this this would be very similar to like a, um, you know, an ROF 413T that you see out there. Yep. Um, and, uh, but what I can tell you is, you know, if anybody that's had to service these things, they're not the easiest to work on. And so what we've done is we've taken the connections out of away from the top flange and we've put them in the sides. So you can either mount this vertically or horizontally. So you can lay it on its side like a, like a dryer. And instead of having nuts and bolts that you have to, you know, compress the spring and, and tighten them. And you have to have about six arms to do that. Uh, we actually uh, threaded the, the flange so you can compress this, the flange down on the spring or with the spring and then run the bolts in like that. We also got away from the flared connections so we offered in a rotolock uh, or a sweat. So then with a rotolock, then you could completely isolate those two connections and take the whole thing away from you and put it in your truck and take it home with if you wanted. Or, you know, with the sweat connections, you can now you're not dealing with all flares and leaks. And that's a pretty robust uh, seal there. And so, uh, you know, the good news is, is with this is it's a proven filter. It's highly effective. Um, I mean, we're getting into, I mean, the difference between ours and, um, what others are used in the industry. And we're talking like red blood cell difference here. <laughs> so, so we're not getting down to, down to that nitty gritty. So, um, but that's a, that's a new product that we're, we're trying to get in, into some people's hands. And I think you had also mentioned about oil regulators. What, what do you guys got coming out with that? So, uh, so an oil regulator, uh, you know, let's face it, there's, there's a handful of companies out there and there's not anything that's just groundbreaking. That's just knocking the doors off. That's going to completely revolutionize <clears throat> the industry. Um, but one thing that we're releasing is a, is a design that has less parts inside of it. So we'll call it our unibody seat where, you know, if you've ever, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys have changed a million of these, but, um, but if you've ever cut one open, um, and it sounds like one of you guys is always cutting stuff open based on what I'm hearing. Yeah, that'd be me. Ulysses, <laughs> just body parts, but Ulysses yeah, does the uh, yeah. mechanical stuff. 
Okay, the the deep the deep freeze um, with you know body parts. That's uh, <laughs> one of those things that, uh, that we all should. But but the reality is, is if you've ever cut one of those open, you look and there's you know a lot of these designs have got a U a copper U bend and and all these linkage and parts. Well, we've gotten rid of all that. And when you look at a malfunctioning oil regulator, you have to and to build one that's consistent, you have to get rid of all those pieces and all those parts that can foul. Um, so we've done that. And the other side is we've added um, on these ports, we've added a rotolock port that you can screw a rotolock valve onto on the oil outlet. So then if you're trying to get, you know, you're replacing these and you got a field install, you've got all these, you know, you know, tight space, you can take that rotolock and you can spin that 360 degrees in, in any direction to be able to help with piping instead of having to, you know, bend pieces around uh, you know, the compressor and so on. So, uh, so we have a fixed level and an adjustable regulator on the same series. And one thing that we always try to talk about is, yeah, the adjustable tends to be this thing that everybody's using. But the question is, is why wouldn't, why wouldn't everybody want to go with a fixed level regulator? Cause they want to touch it. They want to touch it and break it. That's true. It's exactly right. And for, for some guys that want to touch it and break it. Yeah, I get that. But for the guys that are like that they're on call and they trying to go in and, and figure out what's going on. The guy before them that just went down there like, Oh, I'm not sure what's going on. I'm going to start adjusting this. All bets are off at that point. So we're trying to create some awareness in the industry. Let's, let's head down this path of a fixed level half glass. Let's, <laughs> let's stop messing around with all this adjustment mechanisms and uh, let's move on with something else in, in the, on the system. And just to be clear, when we're saying oil regulator, that's uh, oftentimes referred to like a float or um, oil pot, like that. oil, yeah. oil pot, oil yeah. pot, whatever yep. you want to call yep. it, it's on the side of the compressor that maintains the oil level in the compressor. Correct. Yep. So, uh, so those are the two. Those are really the two things that we're we're trying to you know create some awareness in the in the industry. That again, we're trying to remove the problems that have been existing forever, and uh, you know adjustment adjustable oil regulators. And oil management troubleshooting, those things are the bane of my existence because people get into adjusting those things. And again, like I said, it's all bets are off. Awesome. It sounds like uh, you guys have the whole system covered uh, when it comes to oil management. And if they have any questions, Adam, how can they get a hold of you or get a hold of Westermeyer? So uh, obviously, jump on our website. You have our contact information. Um, you know, uh, my, uh, I manage all the salespeople, so they, they really can, uh, we've got a good group of people there. So, uh, you know, our, we have a sales at westermeyerind.com and, uh, I'm on that email list. So I'll see anything that comes in. Um, and we also have an engineering at westermeyerind.com, uh, that we have a good engineering team as well that can help, uh, with some troubleshooting, uh, tasks as well. So maybe uh, we'll send them to the app first. If they can't figure it out from there, then go ahead and give you guys a shout and see if they can get some of their questions answered that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that's good. Good plan. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on and talking with us, and uh, we really appreciate it uh, having you here. And yeah, well, maybe we can get you back on whenever these uh, relief valves come out. And- <laughs> I was about to say that. Whenever, <laughs> whenever the stuff comes out, come back on, please. Uh, yeah, no problem. Well, again, we can we can schedule something up, and again, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and for the opportunity. Thanks, Adam. Thanks a lot, Adam. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. 
Check one, two, one, two. People are starting to ask questions. Try again next Monday. <laughs>